Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Sammy Roberts and I'm joined today by Matthew Castle. Hello. How's things, Matthew? Are uh, How are you keeping yourself busy during these uh, ongoing forever lockdown times? Uh, I've decided to, repl- to play and replay some of the entire Yakuza series. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> We've got to do a Yakuza episode at some point because um, yeah, I've just I've got very patchy knowledge of it, and they recently added like all of them to Game Pass. Um, so I'm thrashing my way through Yakuza One or Kiwami or whatever it's called, um, nice. which is a great use of my time. Yeah, we should get um, PC Gamers Phil Savage to come on that episode, and um, we could do a ranking or something. That might be fun. Oh, but nice. You've got, you yeah. got to get through them first. That'll take you another four years. Yeah, so. I, I've, yeah I've got like a, a patchy record, so I'll, it'll take me... I think if I, I've checked how long to beat, and I think it'll take me about 600 hours. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, um, I'm currently trying to finish Ghost of Tsushima, and it won't fucking end, Matthew. Um, <laughs> like I thought, oh well, forty-five hours—that's got to be near the end, right? Nope. It's like uh, there's a whole other island I haven't even unlocked yet. I'm like, ah, oh, I regret all the side quests I did in the first ten hours of this game. Um, yeah, the problem yeah. with the island structure in that game is once you've cleared out one island and then the big baddie moves to the second island, you kind of think to yourself, well, maybe I'll just live on the first island and it'll be fine. Yeah, you know, like we've cleared this place out. <laughs> this place is safe. Yeah. Let's just let's just call it a day there, and it's, who knows? You know, out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> yeah, it's very serene here. Their uh, yeah. their base is gone. We can, you know, our textile stores have reopened. Seems pretty good. <laughs> um, I've learned a lot about um, a very inaccurate uh, historically version of Japan. So uh, yeah, it's been good. Um, <laughs> nice. Matthew, we're uh, we've switched plans a little bit. We've recorded the best games of two thousand seven episode that was planned to go up uh, the week that people are hearing this, but we've moved that uh, a week. So we can talk about the Nintendo Direct that dropped this week. So this was a big deal, right? I mean, it's the first big thing that happened in gaming this year. So we thought we'd do a little kind of reaction pod to it, really. Um, Ooh. Famously, everyone enjoys uh, listening to you talk about uh, old Nintendo games, Matthew. So oh, well. <laughs> and they they featured prominently in this um, in this presentation. So yeah, the Nintendo Direct. Um, what did you kind of make of it, uh, Matthew? Did you think it was a, a good live stream overall? Were you happy with the reveals? Uh, yes, yes and no. I mean, like, it was only announced, what, like 24 hours beforehand. So it's not like, oh man, I was hanging on for weeks and weeks and then this was it. You know, it, it it's, it's quite strange, the kind of hype cycle that builds up so quickly around these Nintendo Directs. And then you have people who are like raging and you're like, well, this thing didn't exist 24 hours before. <laughs> it's not like you've pinned your hopes on it for like a year. Uh, unless just the general concept of a Nintendo Direct is so exciting that people do do that. I don't know. Um, There's this weird stat doing the round of, like, it's their first Direct in, like, a year and a half or something, (laughs) which I thought, is that right? That can't be right. (laughs) Um, Like, if you don't count the mini Directs, they do. I think maybe people got a bit excited for this one because they thought, oh, this is going to be, like, a biggie. This is where you're going to get your your Switch Pro or Breath of the Wild 2. So I think, yeah, there was some some anticipation grew out of nowhere. Um, but actually, I think, just taken for what it is, there was plenty of fun bits. Yeah, I quite liked it. Um, I thought that the expectations were set out very nicely by Nintendo. They said it will be for existing games, the likes of Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, as well as games coming out in the first half of this year. And, Ooh. you know, to be fair to them, they talked about games that are coming out beyond that. There are some 2022 games in there. 
Um, so mm. yeah, but um, do you not find that Twitter is just uh, extra awful when it's a Nintendo Direct, but also a pandemic? Like those two <laughs> things mixed together are like a fucking nightmare. Um, <laughs> it was a night of many mutes. That's what it was last night on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I know what you mean. I, I think you know there are within Nintendo there are so many like individual fandoms mm. and everyone pins their hope on their particular corner of the fandom being well fed and so you know the idea of this this magic nintendo direct that's going to please everyone is very very hard i would say this one kind of managed to announce a lot of stuff without announcing like any of the traditional biggies mm. you know it was almost like everything you could possibly do to not announce you know one of your major kind of games um so that was quite impressive there was a a a light sort of not trolling element but there was almost a hint of that with some of the zelda stuff at the end (laughs) where it was like we're not going to talk about this but we are going to talk about that and it's the this that everyone wants and it's the that no one wants um (laughs) which i which i quite enjoyed but we'll get to that um but yeah like to see people who are like oh, we're going to see Metroid Prime, you know, we're going to see Breath of the Wild, we're going to see the next Mario. You're like, come on. Like, if they're going to, if you're ever going to have a episode as stuffed as that, it will be their E3 episode. Like, it, that just doesn't happen any other time. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. I, I feel like um, the sort of uh, sense was that if you're like a Pokemon fan, for example, and you're waiting for like a remake of a certain Pokemon game, which I understand is like a thing that's happening in that community right now. Yeah, it probably does seem like a, a lesser sort of deal. But no, I, I found plenty there to like. Um, so what mm. I've done, Matthew, ahead of this is um, I've made like a list of 12 highlights from the, um, the, the show. There's some stuff I missed. Like I didn't feel like that we need to talk about Fall Guys coming to Switch. Not really the biggest Fall Guys fan. I understand why it's very appealing to people. Um, yeah. it's, it's very like it's very much like junk food for the brain in the same way that like Rocket League was for me for about five years. So mm. I understand. I understand. But um, Matthew, is there anything like about Nintendo Directs overall that you kind of had thoughts on from like working in media? Like how important did they become to you? Because I feel like they're a major sort of masterstroke by Nintendo in how they talk to their audience after. You know, a, a number of widely mocked E3 conferences where they seem to get the tone wrong, but these have always seemed to be sort of just right. What's your sort of overall vibe? Yeah, on Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were like massive. I mean, you know, when we were making the mags, you know, often they were like mini E3s through the year, and when you are as desperate and starved for games and information as we often were. Like that that was it, you know, that you know, whenever they announced one of these things and they used to announce them a bit more, you know, like two weeks in advance or something, you'd have a bit more time. You know, it would really be kind of, you know, all hands to the pumps for that. Um you know, you basically guarantee like a huge chunk of your magazine could be filled with whatever was inside it. I mean, sometimes that didn't work out. Like I, I remember we'd you know, on our flat plan, which is the the big plan you use to plan each issue, um, you know, we'd often have put, you know, it'd be like a gamble of how many blank pages do you, do you just leave for whatever Nintendo Direct is? Yeah. And sometimes it works out great. You know, sometimes you put aside like 16 pages and then it's, you know, that's the one where they announce Breath of the Wild 
and they show off Wind Waker HD for the first time and, you know, various other things. And you're like, well, this is fantastic. This is like easy peasy, just bang in some big old screens. And there's so little information that you can basically be really comprehensive. Um, other times you put aside that space and then it's all a little bit like, here's a Rabbids game. And you kind of scream into your fist and think, what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> um, there was a lot of like deadline stress with these because you'd be trying to hold your co- if you knew there was a direct you're trying to hold your cover back you know as as long as you can because you know if people don't know you, you, the cover gets printed earlier than the rest of the mag you have to send it off earlier um so be trying to push the deadlines on things to just desperately you know wait for the you know a better cover hit or even you know a better cover story to suddenly emerge from it so yeah they were pretty massive i mean they were huge for the internet as well you know obviously you know, everyone is competing with that information, competing to be first. So there's all that. And you may not think that pressure exists in, in print, given the, the run-in and the, 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 the kind of lengthier deadlines and whatnot. But they were still, like, massive things. You know, I, you know, plenty of issues made and broken by good and bad Nintendo Directs. So, <laughs> yeah, I kind of... When I like watching them now as a punter, but I, they also give me the fear a little bit because I think it just takes me back to that time of like, you know, please be good. You know, this like the mag depends on it. Um, if I but, um, uh, if I had to like ask you to take a punt out of um, the twelve highlights we've put here, how many of the games in there do you think would have made like good O N M or N Gamer covers? Oh, like none. Oh, really? Because I, I would have guessed like three or maybe two um yeah like in in terms of like familiarity like if we were desperate mario golf because mario's in it right like get mario on the cover but it's still mario golf i mean (laughs) of all the things you want mario to be doing playing golf is pretty far down the list i'd say um you know i'd much rather have him dressing up as a cat uh, (laughs) than playing golf yeah. Um and we did put um, we put Luigi playing golf on the cover before uh, as we talked about in the covers from hell. Yeah, famous um, famous cover. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, a lot of these yeah, not really. Nothing jumped out as like holy, you know, Skyward Sword like could have maybe led like a, a year of Zelda celebrations. <laughs> right, but, yeah. But they didn't announce, you know, it's like Skyward Sword HD leads our Zelda special. Um, but it would have only been Skyward Sword HD and not very special. <laughs> <laughs> All right then, Matthew. Well, that's uh, a good kind of prelude to us firing through these um, <laughs> announcements with a little bit of commentary. Uh, yeah. So um, I had like one more observation, actually, in terms of an overall pattern here. I, I noticed motion control making a little bit of a comeback. Um, at least, mm. like, I feel like Nintendo doesn't talk all that much about how important motion control is to the games it's already got on switch um but here it felt like they were actually keen to draw a bit slightly more attention to the fact that the joy cons can be used almost like wiimotes did you pick up on that yeah there was a bit more i mean to be honest i found nintendo's relationship with the joy cons pretty strange through most of switch Hmm. like at the start there were you know specific joy con tech demos for want of a better word your kind of one two switch and things like that you know and then which is quite old you know that's that's almost like we kind of thinking and we kind of marketing that they used to do um and then 
yeah, it was almost like the intro. I don't know if the interest wasn't there or, you know, plenty of games have interesting Joy-Con bits and bobs, but it's never the focus. So, yeah, like sometimes you can forget, I think, and you're like, oh, yeah, they are pretty, pretty amazing motion controllers. Um, so, you know, it's good that they're getting a bit of love. But yeah, there, there were definitely a bit more love in this episode than, you know, the last couple, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, I'll talk a bit more about what I was surprised to learn about them when we get when we get to them. But um, let's kick off then, Matthew. So, the first big announcement was Pyra and Mithra from Xenoblade Chronicles Two being added to Smash Bros. Ultimate. That's coming uh, next month in March. So, I uh, I don't. We've talked about Smash Bros. before. It's kind of a series you're slightly you don't have like massive feelings on beyond the sort of fan service angle. Yeah, there, I, right? I, I I loved it, loved it, loved it on N64 and GameCube because I played loads of it with my brother, but I just don't really have the time to play it and love it as much as it is, you know, in in my current life. Yeah. Did you have any opinion on these? Because I thought, first of all, because I don't really know much about Xenoblade Chronicles, I thought, oh, this is some kind of Namco Tales RPG because there are like <laughs> anime women with um, large breasts, um, and so that's probably what they're announcing. And um, I was actually quite surprised to learn that these are like Nintendo-owned characters. Um, yeah, Xenoblade Chronicles has got two specifically. It's got like a really weird art style. A lot of the individual characters they're all sort of designed by different people. I think they've even got like the artist name on them in game. You know, it's like one of its selling points is that they got all these different sort of anime artists and because of it some of them are like very traditional and quite demure and some of them are basically just like breasts with feet Um, (laughs) it's it's pretty i mean some of them are just like baffling like just physically you think how can this body like function um it is odd (laughs) yeah Um, i quite like the uh yeah sorry go on this 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 announcement like it doesn't surprise me at all really i mean you know it's pretty much the only first party thing they haven't put in um at this point um there's got to be a monster hunter character at some point i'm amazed that there hasn't they haven't put in the you know the monster hunter or you know a kind of generic character with all those weapons because mm. just the relationship with the game is so tight on nintendo right, that that's that's quite puzzling to me. Yeah, it might be a good promo for that Rise game they've got coming up as well. Um, yeah, I just feel like it's... Yeah. It, it's odd that this came like so late in the in the DLC lineup because Xenoblade Chronicles 2 you know, isn't massively relevant. Like, at first I thought, oh, is this like Xenoblade Chronicles 3? Like, I'd be down with that. I mean, I, you know, I, I really love Xenoblade Chronicles 2, you know, despite its bizarro creature uh, character design yeah um or maybe because of it secretly (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh yeah welcome to uh the back page after dark um (laughs) it's all it's erotica from now until 3 a.m uh, I wouldn't describe some of those characters as erotica. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what it is. Um, it's, it sure is something. But um, also hearing a... Uh, I know this is just part of like the voice acting in the game. Hearing a northern British accent um, in a Japanese RPG. Very quaint. Um, I like Yeah, I like that. I, that, that's like the big Xenoblade thing is, is it's all kind of British regional accents. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the same in the first game. I quite like it. It's quite a, quite a fun sort of selling point of it. Um there's a, there's a Scottish woman. I think she's called Morag with a very nice Scottish accent. Mm, okay, good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I was um, 
I think some people were saying, oh, not more characters with swords. But I was kind of there thinking, well, like all Smash Bros players, I'm sure I just uh, wish that a character that I knew and liked was in the lineup instead of one I don't really know. So yeah, that's the takeaway. So Matthew, number two, Outer Wilds is coming to the Switch this summer. No release date given beyond that, but that's good news, right? Yeah, fantastic news. Uh, My second favorite game of the generation i yeah. believe i put it there mm. <laughs> it's been a while since we recorded that episode <laughs> um yeah a, a, a really fantastic game uh, i actually thought this might be a bit beyond the abilities of the switch because despite its relative visual simplicity there's an awful lot going on and you know mm. i swear i'd heard them talking about like the challenges of getting it working on xbox and whatnot you know, I think it's it's quite a task. Um, yeah, I hope people go nuts for this because it's, you know, I, I genuinely think it's one of the all-time greats. Um, maybe even a maybe like a better fit for Nintendo in that it's like slightly cartoony and, a, you know, a, a bit more of a sort of friendlier world on the surface mm. um, than maybe what you'd associate with Xbox. Um, it's just a great game. More people who play Outworlds, the better. Yeah, I was kind of there thinking the same thing as you, because even with my um, 1080 Ti graphics card, it still seems to have a few problems with stuttering. So I'm wondering, like, it said visual's not final. When it comes out, will it look like fucking R-Type DX on the Game Boy Color or something? Like, uh, <laughs> That'd be uh, cool. Yeah, it would be, um, pretty, good. It would be pretty slow. Um, yeah, I mean, it's got like an art style, though, that I think you can dial back without it becoming too ugly. Like, it's quite chunky and simple. You know, it's it's more like the scale of the thing that's impressive rather than the specifics. Yeah. So I think you could probably lose some stuff, but that's still like, you know, it's basically having to simulate this entire solar system at all times because of various gubbins where you can basically zip across it, and it's 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 pretty uh, it's a pretty complex simulation. Yeah, I will, I will play this game this year. That's on the list. After uh, if Ghost of Tsushima ever fucking ends, then I will move on to that. Um, <laughs> so next up, Matthew. An exciting one. Uh, Famicom Detective Club. Two adventure games released in 1988 for the NES. Being remade or like, um, you know, kind of basically like modernized and brought out on the Nintendo Switch. This I uh, this is the only announcement where I WhatsApped you because I was like, holy fuck, this is like the most Matt Castle thing I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> is that the vibe you got from it? Yeah, very much so. Uh, these are games which i've never played i mean there are english language patches for the for the famicom versions never got released outside of japan um they're they're kind of interesting they come from um then they're they're actually uh, sort of written slash created by um yoshio sakamoto who is mr metroid and mr warioware um he's kind of like I always think of that uh, their Nintendo R and D one, which is kind of like back in the day was like Gunpoi Yokai's team. They're the kind of Game Boy hardware, slightly oddball stuff. Mm. You know, they that slightly kind of weirder. I think they're less celebrated generally as creators than like Miyamoto and the kind of Super Mario Brothers gang, um, which is a shame because they've done some interesting stuff. And there was a absolutely brilliant GDC talk. Um, about probably about 10 years ago now where Sakamoto I think it was in the lead up to Metroid Other M was talking about like his design philosophies and his process and he was talking quite a lot about these games despite 
them never having come out in English. And I remember back then thinking, oh, it's such a shame, you know, that we, we weren't able to play these because I remember him talking about being, like, um, really inspired by the films of Dario Argento, um, which is, like... Like like Miyamoto, when you go, hey, why do you make Donkey Kong? You know, he never says like Suspiria. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that is that doesn't happen in Miyamoto interviews. <laughs> um, so j- just for that, like part of me is like, I'm kind of really interested to to see that. And 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 people who have played these, and whether in the patched version or you know the original Japanese, speak quite highly of them. Like they're they're meant to be pretty good. Um, kind of visual novel, kind of slightly spooky mysteries. Very not nin- not tr- traditional Nintendo fare, really. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm really curious to know what the mindset was behind retrieving these because I I do I am kind of ambiently aware of like a sort of fan appreciation for these games and a kind of like a small cult audience, I guess, um, that's built up yeah. because of the fan translation. But yeah, internally, I'd love to know where these came from. Yeah. yeah, I think the, the fact that they're still calling them like Famicom Detective Club speaks to the fact that they know this is like a bit of a niche interest. This, the, I think this is, I think they're presenting this as a deep cut. Like They could have easily renamed this, mm. you know, just Detective Club or, you know, <laughs> Adventure Detective Gang or something. But by putting Famicom in there, it's kind of, I don't know, it's like leaning into the appetite in the West, I think, for, like, you know, Jap- you know Japanese games in quite a pure form, I think, is a, is a thing. Hmm. Yeah, good stuff. No, I look forward to playing those. I think there is a in May. I didn't actually put that in my notes here, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Cool. So next up, uh, Matthew, it's uh, Mario Golf Super Rush launching june 25th we talked about mm. this before um your sort of vibe on mario sports games is the first ones on the n64 were generally the best and do you think that's going to remain the case here or did you like what you saw uh yeah i i i sort of stick with i stick with my thoughts that it's generally downhill from n64 with these sports games mm. um i think that's fair i think some people aren't are like there are a few rare fans who are just nuts for like Mario Tennis or Mario Golf, who I think have forced themselves to like like these games. <laughs> um, Brutal, you know, through gritted teeth, they're Owned. like, "This is so much fun." <laughs> um, yeah, I quite liked the thing where they were like legging it up the golf course. I thought that was quite funny. Yeah, the, multiplayer mode, the simultaneous. Yeah, yeah, where it's just sort of like just total kind of chaos of it um, was was quite good fun. But yeah, like yeah. You kind of have to get these in your hands to know if they if just they feel okay. Like they they often feel fine, but then the structure around them is a bit bland or a bit flat. Um, yeah, I just don't know why these sports games have been a bit off. I mean, maybe people will write in and tell me I'm wrong and that they're not off. Um, but like, if you just look on Metacritic, for example, it's generally like games that start in the '90s on N64. And are now kind of hovering around the mid seventies, hmm. and it's just been worse, worse, worse every time. Um, but at the same time, this has been a generation where generally lots of game, you know, lots of Nintendo things have been very good. Lots of series have been good. They put their best foot forward. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're gonna like hold hold them hold them to account and and make sure it it's sort of up to up to up to standards. Yeah, this is another one where they. Um... Well, this is the first one, I think, actually, where they, they brought out the motion control thing and showed you could do the old kind of like um, holding the Joy-Con like a golf club and swinging it in order to play. 
uh, which I thought was mm. interesting. That that actually kind of rings more alarm bells to me, though, than makes me kind of excited about it. Uh, I also think about how, like, if you want a sort of, like, a rich, good sort of party game, golf game, everybody's golf has sort of surpassed those, like, Mario alternates on um, PS4. The Everybody's golf games are very, very good, so... Mm. It'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be nice if this one was up to the same standard because you kind of in an ideal world all these games would be as good as like Mario Kart is um, as a party yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what you'd hope. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Like I, I do struggle to cast my mind back to like what the conversation was around these games on N sixty four and why they were particularly good. Like I've, I you know, I haven't gone back to them in you know probably twenty years or something. So it's kind of quite hard to gauge. You know, rem- remember you know what what they got right and. Maybe it was just the the split screen multiplayer was definitely a big part, and maybe just you know the age of local multiplayer softened a bit. I don't, I don't know. It's a it's it's a weird one. Maybe I'll do an, a deep dive into Mario sports games and um, dig into them. I'm glad that it's not Mario Strikers. I forgot to mention that in the 2007 episode, which will you'll be getting next next week. Um, uh, yeah, Mario Strikers came out, and we had to play loads of Mario Strikers online, and it was absolutely rotten as hell. Um, but I'll save that for another time. Yeah, I look forward to uh, yeah the uh, uh, now the previously undiscussed but now confirmed Mario Sports episode of the back page. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm up for that. I I think people might have an affinity for the Game Boy Color version of Mario Golf as well, which is like an RPG element to it or a story element. Um, yeah. I'm vaguely recording that though that's not based on original research so I'll just move on uh, Matthew, No More Heroes 3 releasing August 27th that was one of the coolest things they had there I thought it was um, nice to see that No More Heroes is now just considered part of the I don't know, I think I feel like Nintendo sees it as part of the like Wii canon um, or like their recent mm. history and uh, sort of treating it like it's a kind of I don't know, like a second party game or something, even though I think that Grass, uh, Grasshopper is self-publishing it. Uh, what did you make of it? I thought it looked it looked like pure No More Heroes to me, um, like kind of action game, like really kind of like sort of irreverent anime nonsense. Um, I was well up for it. What about you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, th- I think it's, you're right, it does sort of belong to Nintendo, even though it was on, they ported it, didn't they, to 360 and PS3, definitely PS3. Mm. I think Konami did, or so I have vague, vague memories of that, and yeah. it, it don't think it ever really got a foothold there. Um, it was, yeah, it's, No More Heroes is a strange one. I absolutely loved the first one. The second one kind of left me cold a bit. This one, like looking at the trailers, it's it's kind of hard to gauge where it's going to sit because the the kind of the you know the whole you have to do all the boring shit to kind of get to the exciting bosses is is kind of like classic No More Heroes. Mm. Um, the second game lost something like the characters weren't quite as good or the boss fights you know the they they were a bit too over the top or the the pacing was off on it there was there were there were numerous problems i had with it um so it's hard to kind of really hard to gauge until you've actually played this one like i'll definitely play it and you know it looks like it's got this loads of weird is it alien stuff going on yeah i think so yeah yeah alien invaders that's the kind of key art is um 
Travis touchdown face to face with a big alien dude. <laughs> yeah, but they had like, you know, I saw them tweeting out like the voice cast list and, you know, there's lots of returning characters and lots of remaining characters from No More Heroes 1 and the voice actors. Um, and, you know, that's quite sort of nostalgic. So it's quite a bit of time now passing and it's quite nice that he's kind of getting this gang back together. Mm. Um, incidentally, side note, uh, one of the great Endgamer features that never came together, and I, can't, I don't think I've spoken about this before, was... Um, when I was so into No More Heroes, and I said, let's do a feature where we interview all the assassins, all the voice actors from that game. So we'll just get every single assassin, we'll ask some fun questions, and da da da. And so I basically set about trying to get together, I'm what was probably about 15 voice actors when you factor in a few side characters. And I got like half of them, mm. and it never felt like I had enough to do the feature. Like it felt, it, it felt like it was all or nothing. Right. So I ended up with like pages of interviews with, like, all these random voice actors. Weirdly, I ended up on one of them, one of their... I must have ended up on one of their email... One of the voice actors, like, email lists, and they kept sending me their, like, Christmas round-robin letters. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> so I'd, I'd get these letters saying, like, oh, it's been a great, you know, great year for, like, you know, Marcy and the kids or whatever. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, I don't really know what to say to this. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but that's uh, when I saw those names again. I was like, "Oh yeah, that feature I I never I never delivered." Um, but yeah. sort of sat half done. That would have been a great feature. But there you go. That's a great idea. Like um, I sort of had a similar feature with um, when Hotline Miami Two came out. I wanted to interview a bunch of musicians about what effect did having uh, your music and Hotline Miami Two do for you know your kind of reputation or whatever or yeah how do you feel about it being in the game and i got three of them but it, again it didn't feel like enough so i just sort of gave up on it because i was an editor and i was too busy to actually do shit um other than make a magazine so um yeah, yeah. I, uh, I i was curious though did you get the guy i think it's richard mcgonagall the guy who's like clearly sully who plays the like baseball singing guy in mobile heroes one did you get him i don't know i didn't um no that's the one I, I think everyone remembers of uh, the bosses, or at least like that's the one that comes to mind for me, because um, that's such an yeah. iconic entrance um, for a boss. But um, yeah, it's quite funny with Noah Heroes because I uh, the the guy plays Travis Touchdown, whose name escapes me now, but he's in everything, and he but he was he's basically he voiced a lot of the generic guards in Metal Gear Solid 3. Yeah. And the problem is, everything that he does just sounds like Travis Touchdown. Mm. And I remember playing Metal Gear Solid 3 later, and it just sounds like like Travis Touchdown's in the game, like, being silly. Like, cause he's saying all this sort of... It's like if Travis Touchdown was like, what's over... What was that noise? Yeah. And, you know, where's where's the guy gone? And all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's quite quite jarring. Yeah, Robin Atkin Downs, I believe. Is Robin Atkin Downs, that's his name, yeah. Yeah, he is the main character in uh, 2009's The Saboteur as well, where he is basically Irish Travis Touchdown, um, <laughs> like liberating Paris from uh, Nazis, basically. Um, uh, I think they get quite touchy if you ever bring this stuff up. Uh, I won't mention who, but I talked to a prominent voice actor once and was like, oh, yeah, I always know when it's you. And they seemed like really offended that as if to <laughs> say, like, oh, one note. It's that voice. Yeah, it's that one voice you've got. I mean, it's not it's not his fault. He owns, <laughs> he's got a voice. It's, you know, 
Conversely, um, we're getting way off topic here, but conversely, I did interview the guy who played Tidus in Final Fantasy X and told him that I played the game for 400 hours, and he went, God bless you. That was his response, which I thought was very He should nice. have done that, that crazy laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what should have been his response. Oh, 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 oh. Um, a missed opportunity. <laughs> Imagine if that was his natural laugh, and you <laughs> discovered that in the interview, and you're like, what the fuck? Oh, man, yes. What a hard life you've had. Um, my my one remaining thought of this is that yes, I did think it looked a bit more like No More Heroes One than No More Heroes Two, which was much more of a boss rush. Um, maybe like a bit of a blend of the two because it seemed like there was quite a heavy mini game presence in there too, mm. um, and some weird sort of like like a JRPG screen comes up at some point, um, which uh, suggests some quite inventive stuff going on. But it looked like you were doing jobs, and there was a bit more of a kind of. I don't know, that lazy sort of Santa Monica vibe of the first one that I really liked. Um, even yeah. though, even though it, they, there were lots of boring patches, but they did add something. They did add some kind of texture to it that I really liked, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Well, Definitely. Sh- yeah, I've got, yeah, I, you know, I got, I, got, I got hopes for this one. Cool. All right. Neon White, Matthew. Um, this was a game, new game announced by Annapurna Interactive, who games journalists get very excited about because they publish lots of different games. Um, I believe one of the Donut uh, County uh, developers is working on this. Looked like a kind of shooter where you kind of like burn cards to do shooter moves. But I must confess, I did get my phone out halfway through the trailer for this one. And that's all the information I've retained. Did you have any thoughts on this one? <laughs> At least you're honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I thought it looked like um, Paradise Killer. Yeah, if it had a shooting game in it. Yeah, it did look. What what was it about the sort of perspective and the setting that did remind it, the color palette was different? But it, there is something weirdly similar about it, isn't there? Yeah, I don't for just like the like the the building architecture or something. There was just something slightly unreal about it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, very hard to put your finger on. But like at first, I thought, wait, is this their thing? Is this you know, is this their next thing? Hmm. Um, yeah, I. I it looked cool. I, I have much, much uh, sophisticated to add to this one. Um, oh. Other than Anna, you know, it's a very like Annapurna game. Whatever that is, you just know it when you see him. Like whenever the Annapurna thing comes up at the start of a trailer, and then the tr- the trailer happens, you're like, oh yeah, I get this. Like I get why they went for this. Yeah, it's, um, no matter what it is, there's either something a little bit more going on. I don't know in the kind of like the intellect behind the game or the uh, type of art direction the style of it there's just something a little bit there's like there, yeah. there is a, there's a through line i can't quite figure out what it is but they're yeah. all they're all games which i i if they were people would be too cool to hang out with me i think <laughs> is is that's the thing it's people like, like i'd admire them but i'd absolutely blow it if i tried to talk to them i'd like mumble and end up saying something weird and they'd be like yikes um <laughs> That's that's my vibe of an Annapurna game. That's probably what they're looking for. I imagine that's written somewhere in their internal documents. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Uh, there you go, Matthew. <laughs> that's some great insight. So next up, Metopia coming to Switch on May 21st. Um, I, I must admit, I looked at this and thought, I don't know who this is for. I don't know what the point of this is, but I'm sure the whole Metopia thing means maybe means more to Matthew than it does to me. So what do you reckon? Yeah, this... Uh... I'm going to have to put my hand up here and say this is a little bit post O and M. This is this is a kind of a a, a, a game that sort of falls slightly into my uh, sort of blind spot as a as a Nintendo person. Um, it's it's a 3DS game. It was a 3DS game. Mm-hmm. 
tied to Street Pass. Yeah. Um, you know, it like a big version of Street Pass Quest. Um, God, I really hope I'm not wrong on this. This is how vague I am. Like, this is just a, a game I have not played and I've not written one word about. Mm. Um, but all I, yeah, all I know is that when I, when the thing came up, I thought, oh, that's odd. That's like, that was like a definitive 3DS thing. And it tapped into something only the 3DS can do, which is Street Pass. Mm. Um, so I don't really get, uh, like, what the, what the appeal of it is. Um, and I should probably read more about that game before I did the podcast. But then I didn't, <laughs> yeah. as you can tell now. <laughs> Neither did I, but it's out on May 21st. So, uh, Hooray! You know. <laughs> um, yeah, I like the Mies. I think it's a shame that they don't have, like, masses to do. Like, they felt... You know, they kind of hit gold with the Miis on the Wii, and then they 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 were quite kind of front and center on the Wii U and on 3DS, uh, and on Switch they're kind of there, but they're not like, you know, essential things anymore. Yeah, I did love the uh, Catherine's observation about how turning on the Wii U now and like the Me Plaza is like, you know, basically like a <laughs> pandemic town. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bleak but hilarious. Um, yeah, okay, we'll move on from that one then, Matthew, because we have no further th- thoughts, clearly. Um, so, Project Triangle Strategy, uh, an RPG, a strategy RPG in the Octopath Traveler visual style, published by Square Enix and coming in 2022. Um, there's a demo out now. Uh, this was probably one of the highlights of the whole thing, right? Like, um, Octopath Traveler, not something I got into. I know Catherine was big into it. Um, yeah. I uh, The writing didn't do much for me, but it, did, it definitely looked amazing. And I thought this was a really kind of cool-looking um sort of like uh, you know a kind of disgaea styles or final fantasy tactics side on sort of japanese rpg what do you make of it yeah uh yeah i love the look of it i'm like intrigued like who the talent behind this is i don't know if that's come to light yet through the demo um mm. you know it's because because i'm out at the time lots of people are like oh yeah this feels like matsuno final fantasy tactics all very exciting and you know often with these games if you have one of those like legendary developers involved, it kind of solidifies that excitement a bit. Um, yeah, uh, but you know, as, as it stands, yeah, I you know, I love that visual style of that engine. I love I love Square Enix's commitment to like making like pretty fancy, shiny, exclusive things for Switch, like treating kind of uh, you know Nintendo fans with respect. Um, you know one of my huge bugbears from all my time on Nintendo mags was, you know, basically when third parties were desperate for a slice of the Wii pie and the sum of the crap they gave you to try and get a slice of the pie was incredibly depressing. Um, but I feel like Square Enix have always, you know, from the Wii forwards, they've always been there. They've always made some really spectacular, special feeling stuff. Um, whether it's exactly, you know, your, your deal, you know, varies from genre to genre obviously um but yeah this kind of continues that tradition um yeah i thought this looked cool like it thought it had a lot of a lot of interesting ideas i love the fact they're putting out this demo to get like feedback and try and kind of tighten it up or whatever for 2022 um yeah like and they shouldn't change the name it's a great name <laughs> It's sort of like, it felt like a name that came from a publisher where maybe the Japanese part of the company is calling the shots more than the Western part of the company. Um, yeah. That was the vibe I got from the name. But um, Yeah, it was quite fun. I saw on, 
Twitter, I think it was um, one of the chaps that the, uh, used to work at Platinum Games was talking about this, saying that all these project blah, blah, blah games, when they get announced, he's just like, he's like, all the Japanese developers just think it sounds really cool in English. Right. So they're just like, that's probably why, you know, that's often the thing behind it. It's just like a lot of people going like, yeah, that sounds badass. Let's, <laughs> let's call it that. Um, project whatever is, is fun. Yeah. You know? Uh, do you know I, I have a real affinity for um, the uh, Square Enix games on DS and PSP? Like that generation of like handheld games they made, they were really fucking good at. It. Like they made Crisis Core, they made a really like full featured Kingdom Hearts game um, for PSP, and uh, like the Third Birthday, Dissidia. They made all these mm. like really strong sort of games. To, um, Tactics Ogre. There's like a whole bunch of them, particularly on PSP, but some of the DS ones are really good as well. Uh, yeah, it did some really nice Final Fantasy ports. It did some nice stuff for Dragon Quest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can get all the Dragon Quest games, more or less all of them on um, DS and 3DS. So, yeah, mm. I, I kind of, when I, Octopath Traveler, I just wish they'd do more of that kind of stuff. Like, a more, why not a bespoke Final Fantasy for the Switch, you know? Um, anyway, yeah, but, I, but it looked great. And, um, yeah, I'm glad people are excited about it. And they're like games that they feel like they can actually, like, deliver on. And quite a few. Like this, whoever the masterminds are behind this, whatever they they've got a weird name like two point five D division or something. Hmm. Um, like they've made a lot of games, you know, across three DS. You know, this week as well. You know, or you're about to get Bravely Default two. That feels like it comes from the same kind of group of people. Um, yeah, Octopath Traveler wasn't that long ago compared to like the wait for the next Final Fantasy seven remake or whatever. Hmm. It's just a, a super efficient kind of team making loads of good games yeah absolutely um yeah i look forward to that one so matthew another one that's very much in your wheelhouse the world's end oh it's just called world's end world's end club that's coming to nintendo switch on may 28th it originally launched on apple arcade last year Uh, what's your sort of take on this i remember you saying to me that it was in a slightly rougher state when it launched on apple arcade but you were looking forward to it being complete uh, down the line yeah like so yeah it's i mean uh... So the Apple Arcade, when I play, I've got like an Apple TV, so I don't have an Apple phone or anything to, to iPhone to, to, you know, so maybe the control scheme works better. But on the weird little touchpad Apple TV controller, it was a bit grim. Um, also, like production values wise, it was quite rough around the edges back then on the Apple TV. Again, I don't know if that might just be an Apple TV thing. Um, weird game uh, from the makers of Romper and zero escape so they've i think both left their respective companies and have their own company now mm. it's the vibe i get i may, that may be wrong i may be getting that confused but they they make a lot of stuff together um this was i think this is directed by the danganronpang director but kind of created and written by the zero escape guy and it's very very similar to the zero escape games in that it's a load of kids who are kind of locked in a game they have like weird bracelets and uh they're each given a kind of a secret mission they have to complete and they can't tell anyone else what their secret mission is and as as, if that mission's completed this bracelet's released and they can leave this building without dying but like all the missions kind of turn each other against each other and it's it's quite strange but that's only the opening stretch of the game it then evolves into something else quite odd um it's like a 2d it's a side-on 2d puzzle platformer uh, with like sort of physics puzzles about throwing boxes around, but mixed in with like B 
big doses of like narrative strangeness. Mm. Um, yeah, I didn't finish it on Apple TV uh, mainly because apparently the end of the game isn't actually in it. Like it doesn't. <laughs> it, it ends on like a cliffhanger, and then the deal is you have to play this Switch version for the end or something. Mm. Uh, I found that quite puzzling. What the decision behind that was. Um, so yeah, I, I hope this is just a more polished version because it was quite rough, but it had a great a great hook. Um, I like the idea of the the mix of the kind of zero escape, kind of locked room, kind of psychological mind games, but with this sort of strange platforming action. Um, looks kiddish, is surprisingly dark. Um, I think it could be cool. Hmm. Yeah, I wasn't totally sold on the art direction, but um, you know. Yeah, it's- it's it is odd, but the characters are quite cl- like they emerge quite quickly. It does it does some quite nice stuff with it, but yeah, you have to, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. I'll um I'll check that out when it comes out on uh, May twenty eighth. So, Matthew Ninja Gaiden Master Collection coming to Switch and other formats, including PC, on June tenth. This is quite a cool announcement. I thought I I believe uh, everyone knows that the first two Ninja Gaiden games are the best ones. But um, they've um, actually always been at their best in their original Xbox and uh, Xbox 360 forms, as I understand it. Like, the um, PS3 ones aren't necessarily better. I think people did like Sigma on PS3, actually. But um, nonetheless, it's quite cool to have those in a in a place you can you can get them. Did you ever play these back in the day? Um, they were too hard for me. I have, I've played, like, a bit of Ninja Gaiden 1 for, uh, like, video purposes when I was on the Xbox channel. Um uh, I've played. I think I reviewed Ninja Gaiden Three on on Wii U. Weirdly, because uh, yeah. it was one of the big early announcements for Wii U. Was like Ninja Gaiden Three is coming to it, and we had to write loads about it, even though it had already been reviewed not spectacularly on, you know, other platforms. Yeah. So it was kind of like, you know, Nintendo really getting behind Ninja Gaiden Three in a big way, and you're like, yeah, but everyone else is a six out of ten. So um, that was that was always. You know, that, it was fine, you know. Not not as not as good as one and two, which are games I can only play about half an hour of before getting too frustrated. Um but a lot of people whose opinion I respect dig them. Rich Stanton. It's a Rich Stanton game, yeah, isn't well, it? Yeah, mainly Rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm well up for playing these. Um I, I feel like these have always been my sort of games, but I've only ever played them for a couple of hours each, so um yeah, it's cool to see. I don't I don't think they I'll will. play on Switch, I think I'll play on PC, but still. They are weird, because I, I remember them from, you know, back back in the Xbox era, you know, and I only had the GameCube or whatever. These were one of the few games on Xbox that kind of broke through. Like, when I was reading Games Master, I remember looking at, like, the Ninja Gaiden, you know, review, you know, the screenshots or whatever, and thinking, like, oh, wow, this looks amazing. Because it had quite, you know, neat background. It looked like the kind of next step up from your kind of, like, Resident Evil... Um, you know kind of pre-rendered backgrounds but maybe i'm misremembering that but it sort of had a bit of that vibe Hmm. um yeah it was a nice looking game an important early xbox game for sure yeah yeah yeah. very envious of them played them was too shit and um there ends my ninja gaiden story but nonetheless you've gone on to live a happy and uh fulfilling life so uh you know yeah yeah who's the real winner here um rather than dwell (laughs) on that we'll move on so matthew there was nothing on breath of the world too a and uma appears Looks fantastic. I thought he said, you know, looked great. He looked fantastic. and uh, <laughs> But had nothing to share on uh, Breath of the Wild 2 other than there'll be an update later this year. So before we talk about what they did announce, what did you make of that? Yeah, I mean, like, 
that'll be their big you know they've got e3 that's where you save all your biggies for mm. um they probably don't want to yeah announce it before then uh they want to have something special that will be suitably special um yeah i like i sort of said at the start it, it was too short to kind of get overexcited about seeing breath of the wild 2 um so yeah that's fine it's okay i'd rather it was good and they take their time yeah we actually got basically nothing that's coming out later this year which was kind of notable about this nintendo direct so you know there was um there's going to be some kind of like you know holiday lineup there always is from nintendo but this this was not about that so yeah there are there will be more games to come for sure but yeah this wasn't it um so what they did announce matthew was skyward sword hd now (laughs) at last this is very much like your domain isn't it like the um skyward sword in our kind of review scores we got wrong episode it was you know uh, one of the best one of the best segments an iconic moment in the back pages history um so what did it mean to you that they announced this uh this hd re-release for the switch uh oh the instant reaction uh which which then played out was like oh god we're gonna have the skyward sword discussion again um which which is true it's happening uh, right now <laughs> it's happening right now and it's awful <laughs> yeah. so that's that's fun yeah um uh man people do not like skyward sword and they they are not happy that there are people who do like it mm. and um they love telling everyone about it so that's great um uh yeah like uh, i sort of felt like this was a bit you know this felt like it was a bit of an obvious thing you know i i, I was surprised they didn't announce wind waker and twilight princess as well i've seen people reporting today that that is like an absolute guarantee that those are coming to switch mm, yeah um as part of a zelda 35 anniversary type thing um in which case it is a bit odd not to have announced them all together um you know last year i thought the the episode they did where they announced all the mario stuff together was you know quite a strong little burst of excitement because you had all this other spin-off stuff and maybe they're still prepping that in which case a bit odd you know it felt maybe like uh they'll they'll lynch us if we say we haven't got breath of the world too so let's uh let's let's throw them something a bit of skyward sword <laughs> hd um i thought it was interesting what they talked about the uh the control differences um that you know they had all the motion control stuff but better and but they also have um button controls because a big thing at the time was they were basically saying when skyward sword came out that like no that you know there's no way this can be done without motion controls which is why we don't give you the option um but they've changed their tune now um which suggests that i mean when i was playing it i was thinking yeah this could probably have been done (laughs) with button controls (laughs) Uh, like the the rules of the world aren't that complicated, but you know they sort of stuck to their guns. Um, I think Nintendo's relationship with Skyward Sword's kind of odd. Uh, I felt that they threw it under the bus a bit themselves uh, when Breath of the Wild came out. Maybe I'm misremembering this, but I felt like a lot of Breath of the Wild was a reaction to the reaction to Skyward Sword, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, and in doing that. I, there were moments where it, it, it's the closest I've heard them saying that they were like unsatisfied with something or unsatisfied with the reaction to something, which is Skyward Sword. Um, so, yeah, I, I like I'm glad in a way to see it back because I think you know I really like it. I think it is a great game for for, for many reasons. Um, 
but I was worried that Nintendo had sort of disowned it, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, I thought it was hilarious that they tried to sell it as, like, a stepping stone to Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Um, that was the most, probably the most unconvincing <laughs> moment of a Nintendo Direct I've ever seen, <laughs> where he was like, look, he has a parachute. And a stamina, and a stamina meter. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, but they do not function the same way at all, like... I'm sorry, but that is bullshit. <laughs> and I like the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like if you if you close your eyes real hard, it's almost Breath of the Wild 2. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, that that felt like... That's what I mean about they've got... I think they've got a weird relationship with this game. And that like that attempt to like reframe it, I thought I thought it was quite funny and endearing. You know, I've seen some people who are like, fuck this shit! And you're like, well, it's not worth that kind of reaction. It's more like a... You're like... Oh, that's dumb, you know. Oh. At worst, it's dumb. <laughs> the funniest thing that happened uh. in the direct last night, Matthew, was um, I was uh, I tweeted about uh, Famicom Detective Club, and um, a dude with um, a Dragon Ball Z avatar arrived in my mentions who doesn't follow me and just went, shit, direct so far. And we were like five minutes into it or something. <laughs> and I was like, yep, that's games these days. That's the game's discourse. Uh, yeah, sorry. To, sorry to derail you there. No, no. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't. Know. I, I, I found, I found the kind of, yeah, the framing of it sort of endearingly odd. I think a lot of people know where they're going to stand on Skyward Sword. I don't think it's necessarily a game where you know a different control scheme or sixty frames per second are going to unlock some like hidden greatness in this. Mm. You know, it is what it is. Some people dig it. Some people don't. Um you know their attempts to try and you know that that's what was funny about the when they talked about it is it felt like they were like you know if you haven't played it but you did like breath of the wild you're gonna really dig this and you're like man that is just not true (laughs) Um, but you know i always wish they'd embraced it as as the kind of wonky member of the family i wish instead of all that stamina meter stuff anuma had been like listen like, we know it's weird, we know it's a bit of a freaky Zelda, but, like, it's incredibly romantic, and it has this, like, amazing spirit of adventure, and we're really proud of it, and, you know, it's, it's like, the definitive, like, one of the definitive motion control games. If you don't dig motion controls, then obviously that's not going to mean anything to you, but if you're open-minded, then, you know, you'll you'll probably enjoy the theatricality of this if you've not played it. Like, there are definitely people out there who haven't touched this game who will love it, and it is, it, you know, th- people talk about it like it's a game that got, like, you know, 50 on Metacritic. It's not. A lot of people gave it 10s Thanks and to, high 9s. Thanks to you, Matthew, it didn't get 50 on Metacritic. Um. <laughs> yeah, I dragged it all the way up. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that yeah. um, people love this game. This is like this is a critically acclaimed game hmm. um, that, for some reason, has become this like cursed object, <laughs> um, which doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, I'm, re- I'm like honestly, I'm up, for, I'm up for this, and it'll benefit greatly from from the HD and the sixty frames because you know it, it was always had a very soft visual effect on it on the Wii. It's it didn't age very well. It always looked god awful in screenshots mm. is, is my lasting memory of this in the mag because we were just like wow and then you looked at the screens and you're like yeah are you sure wow and you're like yeah it's good <laughs> <laughs> you know it was a game that was just great in the hands but not necessarily on the eyes yeah um yeah i, I when i played this in like 2013 ish i did think that 
Good lord, why does this look so awful on my HDTV? I mean, <laughs> it happened all the time with Switch games, but sorry, with uh, Wii games. So I was playing on my Wii U, and even with the HDMI cable, it didn't really um, do much for it. But I must admit, Matthew, even with the um, HD graphics, it does look tons better. But the slightly there's a slightly washed out color palette vibe to it um, mm. that I, I'm not a massive fan of. But I don't know, maybe I'll be swayed by the finished product. Um, yeah, it's it's honestly great. It's got loads of like really mad good stuff in it and it's got some like all-time great zelda puzzle mechanics like as a puzzle game it's probably better than breath of the wild Mm. you know and but it it, the problem is it's like only puzzles right it's just and i've said this before it's like overworld as dungeon design it's super strange um but if you happen to be into that i think you'll like i think you'll dig it um yeah, I'm I'm really excited about going back to it. I haven't uh played it recently. I haven't played it for a long time. Um so uh you know, going back through this and you know, getting getting back back in touch with it. Um you know, I wrote a really sincere in my reviews, my reviews, I wrote a couple for this. Well, were super sincere and I really did mean it. Like it it had a very like positive effect on me and I'm, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't just because we were in a massive wee drought and i was like desperate to love something um you know i'm pretty confident in the effect it has on me um so i hope people have an open mind about it and um people who slag it off uh basically get perma muted on twitter <laughs> so that's good <laughs> yeah that's what the button's for um <laughs> I did think it was quite interesting how they translated the motion controls onto um, if you've got the uh, Switch Lite. Is it the Lite? The uh, handheld one, yeah. Yeah. Um, that you have to um, basically use the second stick to um, uh, control the sword. But um, I thought that was actually quite an elegant solution. I imagine they've thought quite long and hard about how to do that in a convincing way. Um, yeah, just thought that was interesting. But- yeah, yeah. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, I'm... Yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how all that holds together. I mean, these ports tend to be pretty good. I mean, there are... There are definitely other tweaks they could have made if they've if they've managed to like tweak how much um, fee or assistant kind of butts in with information. That will really help because that's that's one of the things people hold against it. Um, but it's funny because I see some people who are like, "Oh God, it means we're going to have to do X again," and you're like, "That really wasn't a problem." Like you know these features that you know people talk about this game like it like burnt their houses down or something. You know, <laughs> it's just it's just a weird good Zelda. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, Matthew, I'm sure we're going to return to this one at some point yeah. down the line. Um, I'm sure there's like a Zelda episode kind of brewing in the background that we'll uh, we'll do at some point. Um, so yeah, that's out on July 16th. It's a lovely pair of Joy Cons, uh, or Joy Con is oh, a singular. Yeah. I don't really know how that works, but either way, looks very nice with the two little <laughs> bird guys on it. Um, yeah, look forward to that. So Matthew, final announcement of the Nintendo Direct was Splatoon 3 coming in 2022. What's your sort of whole thing on Splatoon? It doesn't strike me as something you're kind of like big into, but um, I imagine you sort of respect what it's about, which is kind of how I'm I am with it. Like I, I, I think it's like a great kind of approachable online multiplayer game, particularly for younger people, and um, the mechanics of it are really kind of elegantly designed. But it's not something I've ever gotten like obsessed with. What about you? Yeah, ba- basically, I think you, you've nailed it. Like. In this this was a weird one. Is it came at the tail end of O and M again? So it's that perfect. It's it's that weird little window where, you know, 
I wasn't doing Nintendo stuff and I was really having to throw myself into official Xbox. Um, I remember playing this at like the post E3 event where they announced it and thinking like it just feels great and it is it's a it's a killer mechanic and it's a killer idea and it, it works brilliantly. Um, I didn't actually own Splatoon one. Uh, I had I owned Splatoon two, uh, which I mainly bought just to play the the kind of horde mode where you're trying to steal lots of fish eggs or something um i think you play it in four players and it was it was you know an early switch online game um i spent a lot of money on that and then didn't play it massively played it had a few great evenings playing with some friends and then kind of you know moved on because i don't really have that relationship with any game um i think that's the thing about splatoon like it's the closest thing like nintendo have to like a games as service Mm. in terms of like it has seasons and things going on and you know, it has the the turf wars where, you know, loads of strangers are fighting to the death over whether ketchup's better than mayonnaise <laughs> yeah. or, or, or whatever. I wish Will Wars were fought over these things uh, instead of sad things like oil. Um, it'd be a lot more fun, wouldn't it, when you got to the end and you were like, why everyone? Yeah. Uh, especially if they could jump us a bit than t-shirts <laughs> especially if they could wrap uh, it all up in like a weekend like a long weekend you know exactly you're like the war war weekend is two weeks away <laughs> but it'll be grim <laughs> but after that weekend we'll have settled <laughs> what is better hats or scarves <laughs> um, yeah. yeah is it gonna be sunflower oil or vegetable oil we'll, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll figure like, out n- yeah nintendo fix war basically <laughs> they made war palatable which i liked yeah um i love the world of it the weird like music i lo- like what what's really great about splatoon is the that it was like a new idea that landed instantly people really took to it they've grown it out you know there aren't you know as brilliant as they are you know, ninety-five percent of what we're playing on Nintendo platforms is what we were playing on Nintendo platforms twenty years ago. Um, so Splatoon being like the weird, the weird kind of example of what they should be doing more of. Um, I, I'm kind of sort of a little bit sad that we haven't had a another Splatoon-sized, you know, project emerge during Switch. Hmm. You know, we had Arms right at the start, which felt like. You know, they were like, okay, Splatoon works. We'll make Splatoon 2. What's the next weird game we're going to try? Arms. People like arms. Some people love arms. But you get the impression it's not like... I hope it hasn't... It wasn't sort of a too much of a bomb in that it stopped them from wanting to try these things. Yeah. Um, but the next, like, you know, a younger team. What is the next younger thing coming out of Nintendo? Like, we haven't seen it. You know, we haven't seen one of those for a while. Um mm. But I thought this was great, what they showed off of this. Um, I love the character customization screen, where she was like, she pulled back the hood when it was the, you know, time to do the hair. And it was like very kind of very beautifully animated how it sort of, you know, showed it. And, you know, everyone said, oh, this looks like it's going to be more of a story component because there's all this weird, like, Mad Max shit going on. Um, And I'm up for that. You know, you know, we know Splatoon is a good multiplayer game, but... I th- I think it would you know t- to go like next next level with it um, to have like a big proper juicy campaign would be great. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, to kind of like tie a bow on that as well, something you mentioned in our Mario 3D World episode is that there aren't many lessons that um, Nintendo could take away from the Wii U generation, but clearly they took away the idea that Splatoon was like a winner um, and have kind of doubled down yeah. on it. And, uh, and fair play, you know, they made it work. 
um yeah yeah yep 2022 for that one matthew um so do you have any kind of like wider thoughts about the uh, nintendo direct before we move on to a couple of listener questions no just like you know a good mix of stuff a nice mix of stuff uh you know as much as people scoff at the stuff they're not interested i do like that they have the you know the range of things and they they kind of put things on equal footing um i actually thought i thought monster hunter looked really good as well hmm. uh, as sign that like i'm monster hunter is another game which like i play 20 hours of every monster hunter and have a great time but i never play it enough to get to like the masterpiece level monster hunter you know i don't lose myself for hundreds of hours mm. um but i love the look of it and i you know again a third party doing you know pumping a lot of money into something especially for the switch always good to see um I was disappointed that this alleged uh, great Ace Attorney spin-off game wasn't announced, which seems to be leaking every week as it gets ticked <laughs> off at, at a different kind of um, certification process. Um, we just need it to be formally announced. I was hoping, I was really hoping they were going to go, here it is, and it comes out in a week. Mm. Um, and then I'd have, like, purpose in my life again. Uh, but... Sadly not. Yeah, that'll have to wait until later this year. Uh, hopefully that'll happen. I mean, I can't imagine that ratings board in Taiwan would have mentioned it if it wasn't real. Unless it was just like yeah. a, a long troll for towards Matt Castle. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's cruel. <laughs> no, I agree with you. But um, as you mentioned, like the uh, Wind Waker and Twilight Princess ports are expected at some point. So there's plenty more Nintendo to come this year, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, Matthew. So moving on to a couple of listener questions here then before we wrap up. Right. So, yeah, um, we had uh, we had two here that I kind of bundled together. Um, this one's quite funny because it kind of suggests that you and I have to make a magazine um, as a Patreon goal, which I found very funny. <laughs> um, hey, chaps, I'm sure you didn't know, you don't need suggestions, but in the best spirit of internet uh, commentators, I'm going to give you one anyway. Your podcast yes. is great, and you have a lot of interesting things to say on gaming games in the industry. I would personally also love to see you guys put your print experience into practice and produce a monthly pamphlet with some select content. content. <laughs> Maybe even a guest writer on the back page. Think of all the covers and scores you could regret in the future. You can then look back and comment on them in future podcasts. It could be a perpetual content machine. A magazine, if you will. I added that bit. Um, <laughs> would definitely subscribe into a Patreon for such a privilege. Cheers from James Thompson. Um, what do you reckon, Matthew? Should we just make a magazine on a whim in our spare time? Um <laughs> They're so hard to make. <laughs> They're very hard to make. They're so hard to make. I know this podcast is all like, hee hee hee, magazines. <laughs> um, but that's because we've mainly focused on the episodes where like we were having fun. <laughs> yeah, I do sort of like, I, I strip out all the bits where it's like me eating my third subway of the week and um, reading some like PDFs, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're very hard to do. Also, like, oh God, I mean... Just that without an art person, they're, they're next to impossible. Yeah, it'll basically um, look like um, when your sort of uncle loses it and starts sending everyone like right wing pamphlets um, that he's made himself <laughs> with like word arts. That's what our pamphlet would look like. Um, yeah, basically that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's an idea. Yeah, we've sort of we've thought about um, uh, we've 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 like vaguely talked about Patreon stuff, but we're definitely not at that point yet. We're uh, we're just we're no, just growing no. and having fun and talking about games. So um, we'll revisit down the line, I'm sure. Um, next question, Matthew, from one of our earliest listeners and uh, supporters, um, Robert August Demeyer. Hoping hoping I'm pronouncing your name uh, correctly there. 
Howdy you two. Forgive me for asking this, but since you asked in the last podcast for audience questions, do you believe people can improve their taste in video games? And if so, how? What's your take on this? Uh, why not? Does this suggest that there is like an accepted good taste? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was thinking about this because um, I feel I would like to do like a best indie games episode of this podcast, but I do not feel equipped to do that. Um, we would need a guest because I've basically just played like blockbusters and games that aren't quite blockbusters for the last five years because I've become, become very culturally lazy. Um, and I, <laughs> I wouldn't call that good taste. Do you think you have good taste, Matthew? Uh, I think I have reasonable taste. I think I've got quite uh, open tastes. Mm. You know, I'll try a lot of things, and so I'll discover a lot of stuff I like. I wouldn't say I have particularly good taste. I mean, the fact that I really like Skyward Sword, lots of people would say, well, that's that's you done then. <laughs> um, well, I would say that about them. So, you know, who just know? Uh, I mean, I'd say right now, like, it's kind of never been easier to try stuff you haven't tried mm. because of subscription services. Um like is is one of the big pluses of say xbox game pass is it does give you access to the 400 games or whatever it is 300 like, you know, the number fluctuates um to just dip in and you know there's a genre there's a bit of everything in there i think the problem with those services is if you look at them going like well what does this have that i like it's like well you probably already own what you like mm. you know that's that's the problem i have my game collection is kind of the you know the games i want i tend to get um but the the best part of those is is dis- is discovering something new um discoverability in games is just a fucking nightmare because i mean we were never good at particularly good at this on magazines you know in that you know we skew, you know we had quite limited space and we tended to skew with big stuff and you know i didn't you know there was a lot of indie stuff we didn't necessarily touch we didn't get into and you know, I've worked on websites, you know, Rock Paper Shotgun was very, very big on pushing indie stuff and indie teams and, and but still like discovering it as a journalist is a nightmare because there's so much stuff. I mean um, amazing games go past us all the time and you know, it's just a happy accident if you ever actually get to play them. So the idea of like developing and forming better taste or different taste is it's quite hard. Yeah, I, I echo your thoughts about Game Pass. Like, um, pick that up, and even if you haven't really played that many indie games of late, you'll find loads on there that are, are quite good or um, cool to check out, like uh, including new releases. So mm. that's a good call. Uh, Steam sales are great for this. One of the reasons I love working on PC Gamer, actually, was that you know it was a, very much about curation, and people owned different sort of subject areas and would like yeah. you know talk about their thing. And I thought that you know whether it was a big survival game or uh, like a cool um, story-driven indie game. Like um, I thought PC Game was pretty great at surfacing that stuff. But there is so much yeah. out there. There's so, so much, um, including like free games as well. So I think Game Pass, though, that's my that's my starting point. Get Game Pass, yeah. download five things you like the look of, give them a go, see what you learn, you know? Yeah. I think you've also got like slightly... In, in, in the indie world now, you've got the emergence of like indie publishers like Annapurna who've got like a slightly clearer like remit of what they're after Mm. so if you like something in their body of work you can kind of dip into their other stuff like there's lots of people who will probably pick up the next devolver thing because they know what a devolver game kind of entails yeah um so like and we didn't have that necessarily five years ago this this idea of like 
these games are kind of of a piece or they come from a similar kind of vibe, you know, in a way that, you know, oh, I, I'll see everything this actor does or whatever that you get in films. Um, yeah, it's tricky. I wouldn't, I wouldn't judge us on like taste necessarily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say, I would say, I have very broad tastes, or at least like that's all I've decided to uh, to play of late. But um, yeah, I think we gave a good answer and, there. Yeah. Also, you can listen to next week's episode of two thousand and seven games because there are definitely some like hidden gems in the past that people can go back and discover. That's always good. Yeah. Um, so, Matthew, that is the end of the slightly shorter podcast. We needed a slight break from doing the monstrously long ones. Um, two th- yeah. 2007 <laughs> is going to be massive, but we also wanted to do something timely. So hopefully people yeah. have enjoyed the uh, format change. Um, Matthew, where can people find you on Twitter? I am at Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. You can also follow the podcast at Backpage Pod. You can tweet us questions that we'll read out on the show. Or you can email us at backpagegames at gmail.com. But uh, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next Friday. Bye-bye.